You are listening to the podcast of the Y Church of the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. We're going to now turn to scripture, Galatians chapter 1. Liana is going to read for us this morning. Galatians 1 and verses 6 through 10 this morning. I am astonished that you who are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Thanks, Liana. Well, my wife and I have been so happy to have her parents here visiting us in the month of January. My father-in-law is here, Wilhelm. The whole crew is here at the first service. I don't know if they are as happy to be here in the month of January, but we are thrilled to have them just in our home, helping out and spending time with the grandkids. I was reminded when I first moved to Germany, before Esther and I were even dating, she was here stateside and I had moved over there to study. I was at a language institute in southern Bavaria, actually not far from Innsbruck, which I visited on a little excursion. So beautiful city. And I was in southern Bavaria, in southern Germany, and I was at a language institute trying to learn enough German so I could pass the proficiency exams to get into a a German seminary. And when you're trying to learn a foreign language, there are lots of moments for confusion. And it was the philosophy of this language school to conduct all of their classes entirely in German. All the teachers were native German speakers, and they would never switch, even if you were just starting out. So you can imagine, it's me, a couple of Korean guys, two Spaniards, an Italian, a Grecian, a Jordanian, a couple Chinese, an Arab-Israeli, a Welshman. I could just picture all their faces from so many years ago. And we were a hot mess trying to navigate German together. And we found just to master the sounds of this language, let alone reading and writing, was challenging enough. You may know or have heard German is a guttural language. And to try to figure out how to make, for instance, the German R sound that gets rolled in the back of the throat, I mean, it just seemed to my American ears like an impossible sound to make. But I found as I lived over there in those first weeks and months, there was a great place to practice the German R, and it was in the shower. Because in the shower, you have all that steamy, warm air, and it just kind of relaxes your throat. And so every morning as I'd get ready for class, I would practice my German R in the dormitory shower, probably much to the amusement of the other guys who were there. But it eventually worked. There was a day, the aha moment came when I'm in the shower practicing these sounds and all of a sudden it clicked and it was like my brain 
and the muscles here, my throat, my vocal cords, everything synced up. And the R sounded like a German R instead of an American one. There are lots of moments in our life where we might find ourselves going from confusion to clarity. And sometimes that happens really fast as the cloud lifts and and you've got it figured out. And other times you really have to persevere until it finally clicks. As we turn to this passage in Galatians, our topic this morning is nothing less than the most important principle in the entire Bible and consequently in your entire life. You know, if I don't figure out how to say the German R, I can still learn the language. I'll just speak with a pretty thick American accent. But if I don't understand the gospel, then I have not understood Jesus and I am not reconciled to God. It's that critical. So if you are just joining us in Galatians and you missed last week, our opening week, I thought maybe some orientation would be helpful and we'll just give a quick recap of some things we talked about in more detail. First of all, last week we noted this is the last book that we have to study and then we will have studied every book of the New Testament. A 14-year journey, all 27 books. So we said, mark your calendars for April 28th, and we're going to have a little party here as we cross the finish line and finish Galatians. Secondly, last week we went over some geography and background that are part of understanding this letter. Paul is writing to churches in Galatia. It was a Roman province which is in modern-day Turkey. And this is where many of the first churches were planted as the gospel was preached and proclaimed by the followers of Jesus. Thirdly, we pointed out this might very well on the timeline be the earliest of Paul's letters that we have in the Bible, just 15 years after Jesus. Our series is called Set Free, and Paul is addressing an urgent concern that he has that the Galatians have given up freedom, have given up grace, and become confused about the gospel. So that's where we begin as we read verse 6 into 7. And this Sunday, we're going to spend actually most of the time, we won't spread it out through the whole passage, but really on the first couple of verses as the key place that we'll camp out. So here's what Paul says, verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Paul has barely started his letter when he delivers these pretty jarring lines. And it's really not his usual approach. If you were to look at all the letters of Paul, there's 13 of them in the New Testament, What happens after the greeting, which is what we studied last week, verses 1 through 5, is Paul will go into thanksgiving. And it often comes in the form of thanking God for the faith of the recipients, those receiving the letter. So we could read any number of examples. I picked three. We'll start with Romans. We have the greeting in Romans, and then Paul says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. It's thanking God for the faith of the recipients, right? 1 Corinthians, another example. I always thank my God for you because of his grace 
given you in Christ Jesus. Philippians, third example, I thank my God every time I remember you. Galatians, no thanksgiving. And it is a glaring exception. But Paul moves straight from that greeting last week into this word of rebuke. He says, I am astonished. And that's putting it mildly because we'll see as we carry on through this letter just how strongly he feels. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Let's talk about the word gospel. It is a word that's used in a few different ways and can be a little funny, or fuzzy rather, hopefully not funny, but fuzzy for some of us. And we found this in high school ministry, for instance, upstairs Wednesday nights. Sometimes there can be confusion around this word, so we'll define it together. On the one hand, when we say gospel, it's used as a genre in the New Testament. So the Gospels are the four books of the Bible that tell us about Jesus' life and teaching. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four Gospels. And it's often written with a capital G because it is like the title of a book. So the Gospel of Mark, for instance. But that's not the way the word is being used here in Galatians or in general. Gospel here is not a genre This is the key distinction, but it is the message of Jesus, or it's the message about Jesus. That's how we're using the word. Here's the word Paul writes, and that you would find throughout the New Testament, euangelion. It's a word that's a combination of two other words, eu, E-U, which means good, and then angelion, which means message. So you put them together, and you have quite literally good message or good news. And this good news, the gospel, is at the heart of what Jesus came to do. When he begins his ministry, look what we read, for instance, in Mark chapter 1. It says, after John was put in prison, it's John the Baptist, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the euangelion, the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the euangelion, good news. And what is the good news? That the kingdom of God has come near, and it's here in Jesus. Later in the story, it's then the disciples' turn to go out and proclaim the gospel. And so we read, for instance, in Luke 9, starting in verse 1, When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. They're doing the same thing that Jesus did, proclaiming the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Then we go on to verse 6. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the euangelion, the good news, and healing people everywhere. So in the New Testament, the gospel is the arrival of the kingdom of God, and it arrives in the person and work of God's Son, Jesus. That in his life, and by his death and resurrection, he is shown to be our Savior, Lord, and King. That's the gospel.
So we might ask ourselves then, what does the gospel require of me? It is to live in his grace and under his lordship. To allow the rule and reign of Christ to be established in my heart and throughout my life. That's the gospel of the kingdom. Why do we gather on Sunday evenings to talk about finance and biblical giving? Because we desire money and resources to come under the rule and reign of Christ. That's the concept. This is the gospel of grace that permeates all of life. So what's happening in Galatia? Let's return to that context here. Why does he write these stinging opening lines? It's because the churches in Galatia were abandoning the gospel. They'd started off strong. People heard the good news of Jesus. They received this word about the grace of Christ, that his righteousness could be their own as they trust him by faith. All of that was slipping away, and they are turning to a different gospel, which Paul then says is really no gospel at all. It's a fake. Now, he doesn't say here, what that counterfeit gospel entails. We're going to have to get into chapter 2 for more about that. But we do get a little more info in verse 7. So we'll add the second half of verse 7. He says, Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So there were some leaders, or we might call them influencers, who gained prominence in the church. And yes, still mentioned Jesus, but then twisted the gospel. It wasn't the gospel that they were preaching, but it was a different message. And as a little preview to what we'll find out in chapter 2, essentially they were emphasizing the Old Testament law and especially the importance of male circumcision, that sign of the Old Testament covenant, to be justified before God. So in other words... They were saying Jesus plus the Old Testament law. And that is not the true gospel. And I want to ask you how you think this might apply in our time. As we just said, the false gospel for the Galatians was Jesus plus keeping the law. Jesus plus religious rule following. And certainly we still see that today. In some form or another, it would be called Christian legalism. But my question for you is, are there other false gospels that are especially relevant today? What confusion is out there that, if we're not careful, can have us deserting the gospel just as quick as the Galatians? To help us answer that question, to give you some ideas, I read a book last year by Dr. Bill Hall a man who's focused his academic work on the topic of discipleship. And he outlined in the book I was reading the six gospels we preach today. And he says, as he introduces that concept, he says, if we are not preaching the biblical gospel, we are preaching what Paul would call a different gospel. And the footnote on that sentence was Galatians 1 verse 8. And then he went on to describe the Gospels that he says are prominent in our culture today. So I'm going to give you that overview. Number one. Number one is the forgiveness-only Gospel. 
And he says, this gospel covers the important topics of forgiveness and grace, but it makes no mention of repentance, gives no invitation to follow Jesus, and does not discuss obedience to Jesus that Scripture teaches is required for a life of discipleship. This gospel, I think you'd find among our culture, those who are loosely attached to a church, Maybe they have memory of saying a sinner's prayer somewhere along the way. Maybe have checked off faith milestone boxes like baptism, confirmation. But actually following Jesus has very little bearing on their everyday life. That's the first one. Second, we have what he calls the gospel of the left. Now, quick clarification. Left and right, of course, are used often in a political kind of sense that's not the context that we have here. But Hall is using these terms theologically. The gospel of the left is what you have when people have tried to make Christianity relevant in the scientific age. This isn't new. It has roots that are many years old. I think of Bonhoeffer because we recently discussed him at length on New Year's Eve morning when we were here for church. Bonhoeffer, when he did come to the U.S., He arrived at a seminary in New York City where this was exactly the case and he found it disturbing because all they would do was sit around and try to deconstruct the Bible. The gospel of the left is, of course, still alive and well today, though many of its churches are not. Some historic denominations in our country are in sharp decline and closing churches on the regular. And it exists overseas as well. I remember visiting Germany for the first time and seeing all these beautiful churches and cathedrals, and they were empty. And Innsbruck, Austria, would be no different than this. They're essentially now museums where people go and pay a few bucks to see beautiful architecture, but there's no people worshiping and there is no preaching because they have jettisoned the Bible and the need for salvation, and the divinity of Jesus, and the gospel itself. And here's the thing. When you go down that road, when you lose the gospel, you have nothing left to preach. You have nothing left to offer. And so you'll scramble for the scraps of social activism and just accommodate to culture trying to be relevant. Third in our list, we have the prosperity gospel. This gospel says that God will give me health and financial wealth if I just have enough faith and follow a few basic biblical principles. And this gospel is the mold of some of America's most famous TV preachers, past and present. I was watching a clip just the other day. Actually, one of my German friends who's a Baptist pastor, he told me about this, and I looked it up. And here's an American televangelist making an appeal for a new $54 million private jet. He already has three, so this will be now the fourth in his fleet, the Falcon. And the closing line in his appeal in this clip is he says, if Jesus was physically on earth today, he wouldn't be riding a donkey. I guess he was thinking he would ride a private jet. So I did not make a donation as I watched this, but... 
This stuff is out there. And I will tell you this, the prosperity gospel exists in much more insidious forms than that. You know, that one is pretty obvious. But we're very easily tempted by this one if we're not careful. Fourth in the list is the consumer gospel. This one I think hits especially close to home. This gospel is for busy people on the go who need a God who will fit their timetable, their lifestyle, and their priorities. So the emphasis here is on convenience, speed, soundbite sermons, and instant results. I once had a man tell me it moved to the area, to the Twin Cities, and he was looking for a church that had to have a service no longer than 45 minutes because he didn't have any more time than that. The consumer gospel encourages church shopping and church hopping. It ignores things like the long road of discipleship, dying to self, and sacrificial love. Its ultimate goal is to please the consumer and to keep them happy. Fifth, in the last of the false gospels, we have the gospel of the right. So we have the gospel of the left. Now we swing to the other side of the pendulum. The gospel of the right, unlike the left, emphasizes correct doctrine. It's very important. It emphasizes correct beliefs. But here's the ironic part. It is biblically shallow. It is more concerned with being in the right tribe and is closely akin nowadays under the title Christian nationalism. The gospel of the right has a narrow moral code And it tends to take a combative posture toward culture. And though it touts the truth, it has little use for Jesus, actually, beyond getting into heaven. So those are the five false gospels that Hall identifies. The sixth gospel, the one to be commended, he calls the gospel of the kingdom. And now we're back to where we started. This is the gospel that is preached in the Bible. The gospel of Jesus. The gospel of grace. I want to ask you as we come into a close here in the next couple minutes, why it is so easy for us to get away from grace. I think maybe because we just can't help but get ourselves into the equation. Now, what false gospel do you think would try and tempt you away from grace? And it doesn't have to be one on that list. Maybe like the Galatians, you are simply unconvinced that God accepts you and loves you on the basis of faith in Christ alone. And there's, you know, either... Conscious or subconscious, I don't know, but you think, I've got to contribute to this somehow. I've got to pay my way. I have to do something. But what the Bible calls you to do is simply this, to believe the gospel and follow Jesus. Paul is so adamant about this. He says that even if an apostle or an angel were to preach something different, they should be under God's curse. He says this in verse 8. He then reiterates it in a solemn formula in verse 9. That's how serious this is. And why is it so serious? 
You know, the Corinthian church, they had some goofy things going on that Paul had to address, but he is much more stern with the Galatians. Why does he take it so seriously? Because the preaching of a false gospel puts the souls of men and women in jeopardy. That's why he deals with it so severely, and that's why you and I should take heed as well. So do you understand the gospel? Maybe you have, maybe today. Maybe the fog lifted for some of us. Do you understand the gospel? Are you believing the true gospel? Or are you still confused? I can tell you this, that God does not desire for you to remain in confusion about who he is and what he's done for you. But he is calling you. It's a very clear call on your life to live in the grace of Christ. And once you have, once you have stepped into the freedom of the gospel, to never depart from it. As we come to a close, I'm reminded of words of Martin Luther. We talked about him a bit last week. He was so fond of the book of Galatians. And he said, we need to hear the gospel every day because we forget the gospel every day. So today, you've heard the gospel, that God loves you, an undeserving sinner, and that he calls you into his grace by the death and resurrection of his Son. Come what may, that is the gospel truth that is proclaimed over your life for you to accept and believe. Let's bow and we'll pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your grace, this good news of your love and salvation through Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you've made a way for us to be reconciled to you, for all of our sin to be forgiven and for us to step into fullness of life with you. I ask, Lord, that you would help us to understand the gospel, help us receive the gospel, and help us, Lord, to persevere in truth and grace. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.